Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this month's mini-sode of Banging Book Club. This is the fortnightly podcast about books, about sex and gender. I am one of your co-hosts, Lucy Moon, um, and you'll be hearing Hannah and Lena later in the episode, but um, yeah, I've just edited this one in my bedroom, and right, okay, it's been a really good episode. So, (laughs) this mini-sode is in response to the book we read last uh, month called Juliet Takes a Breath by Gabby Rivera. It brought up loads of really interesting themes about... um, fame, womanhood and femininity and LGBTQ plus issues and identity. identity. Um, and it was just a fascinating read. And Hannah, Lena and I thought, well, we can't really speak much more on this topic. And we've just given our thoughts on reading the book. Why don't we invite our audience and other contributors to come and give us their thoughts on white feminism and identity and intersectionality. And so we have had two amazing contributors from our audience come and give us some thoughts. And then we've also had our mate Clarissa and our mate Rowan, <laughs> who are um, really interesting and exciting women. Um, so yeah, let's begin first by talking about something very exciting that's happening this month in about a week. Um, we, Banging Book Club, are doing our second ever live recording. Woo! Um, with the most amazing author whose book we're reading this month, actually. Um, she's called Juno Dawson, and we're reading her new book, The Gender Games. And so we're recording the mini-sode at this live event. It'd be amazing if you could come along. Um, if you go on Twitter and search at Banging Book Club, there are links where you can buy tickets. And honestly, it's going to be a blast. Like, you're missing out if you don't come. I'm just saying. So yeah, <laughs> check that out once you listen to the mini-sode. Um, right, let's get on to our first contributor, Um, Her name is Nicole. Hello, Hannah, Lucy, and Lena. I am a bisexual woman from the United States, and I'm really excited to get to respond to your podcast. I'm going to try to keep it brief. First thing off the top, I didn't read the book, so I'm not responding to the text. I'm responding to things that you guys discussed that I thought were interesting. And second thing, I'm recording on a phone, so the recording quality is what it is. I tried, so we'll see how it goes. The first thing I wanted to discuss was the topic regarding the responsibility of authors. I kind of basically agreed with you guys um, in saying that, yeah, an author is one person. They should try to try to, you know, include other voices and perspectives, um, but at the end of the day, they're one person, and that's not an issue for me. Again, um, I'm just speaking for myself just in case that wasn't clear. Um, But that's not an issue to me. Um, What becomes an issue for me is the way people respond when they are called out for that. So I think responses that are okay are 
Um, yes, you're right. I didn't include other voices and perspectives, but here are authors who did. And here are authors from those communities that you're looking to hear from. You know, if you can do that, I think that is stellar. Um, the other thing that I think is great is when people are just like, nope, I didn't include other voices and perspectives. Sorry. And just own it. Like, just own it. And only apologize if you feel inclined to. But if you know you only included one voice and one perspective, stand with that and be okay with that, you know? And um, when it becomes problematic to me is when there is um, either... A denial of a problem because of one minority voice, which I have seen happen. It's kind of like an author or people who are reading the book, not necessarily the author. Um, but if I'm like, oh, I didn't really like this book because um, I felt like, you know, it was very much for straight white women. No problem with that. I didn't really connect with it. It's kind of like, excuse me, they had one minority voice in there um, for like two pages. Uh, so it's perfect and you need to get over it. And I find that very weird. Like, I, I don't know. I don't like that response because one minority voice cannot speak for all the varied minority voices out there. Like, that's just not possible. So I think kind of throwing one voice in to just kind of be like, look, I did it, gets kind of offensive. The other thing that I don't necessarily like is when there's a book that, again, is very much for straight white women, because that's just what I'm discussing today, um, for that audience. I think that's fine. If a book is for the audience, that's fine. You know, no problem with that. The issue I have is when I'm like, oh, I didn't really connect to that book because I am a queer woman of color. So there's just not a lot in there for me. I get a response where people are like, if you just believed hard enough, and if you really wanted to, um, you could connect with her on every level. You were nitpicking, and she's actually this perfect being who um, you just need to get on board with. And that happens a lot. Like, I've had a lot of people react that way to my criticisms of books that just aren't meant for me. And I don't mean that offensively when I say I don't relate to something. It's just a fact. Um, and there's just nothing... I feel nothing that I could do that is going to make my other identities go away. I will relate on some level as a woman, I'm sure, but as a woman of color and as a bisexual woman, there's a lot of times I just don't fully relate and people get really defensive about that. Um, but anyway, I could talk about that all day. So moving on, um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was the well-intentioned racist that um, you guys discussed at the end of the podcast. And I thought that was really interesting because I run into that group a lot. And um, I don't know, it, it's a group that's really hard to talk to um, because it's almost as if they have this perspective of either I vote a certain way or I've been to college and I'm educated or I have um like three friends that are minorities and I live in a very liberal area so there's nothing you can tell me about racism and it, it really is fascinating almost almost as fascinating as it is disheartening because when you try to call out microaggressions in that group very often people kind of respond to like why are you nitpicking we live in this great place or work in this great place or we are a great friend group where nobody is racist where nobody is homophobic so there's nothing wrong with us we're not like them the others with 
confederate flags and hate groups therefore we are above it and if you were pointing anything out it's because you're just trying to disrupt the peace and it's weirdly almost easier to have a real conversation with someone who wears their heart on their their hate on their sleeve um like a confederate flag so i can be like hey confederate flags are offensive no it's not it's whatever and i'm like well i think this because this well i think they're fine because whatever and we can have a back and forth but when I try to bring up people that are like really liberal um, or they feel as if they're above racism or above homophobia they're just kind of like you're wrong you're nitpicking I clearly didn't mean it that way you're just trying to make me feel bad or you're just trying to cause problems you're just trying to stir the pot and things like that Um, that being said I really admire you guys because, like, I literally laughed so hard when the podcast was starting, and I think Lena had said, are we racist? I thought that was super funny because it's just refreshing. I guess just question it sometimes. You know, you probably, everyone has implicit bias. Everyone commits microaggressions no matter what group you are from, you know, and I think it's important to constantly reevaluate. I do that myself as a woman of color and as a bisexual woman. I'm sure there are still things I do towards other groups that aren't fair, that I'm not aware of, and if I get called out on it, I need to go, hold on a minute, let me digest that and let me think, and I think that Um, It's really admirable that you guys are constantly willing to expose yourself to different perspectives, but also turn it back on yourselves and go, oh, what more can we do? Or how often do we do this? Or how much more can we learn? And I just think that's just awesome. And it's a big part of why I enjoy listening to your podcast. So thank you three for being my least problematic faves. You guys are great. And I really look forward to your next episode. Thanks. Bye. And now on to our second contributor, Lorato. Hi, I'm Lorato, and I'm 18, and this book changed my life. It was incredible. I've never read a book that was so self-affirming, and I've never had the chance to relate to a character quite as much as I related to Juliet. This book captured what it's like experiencing that kind of white lady, vagina-focused feminism when you just don't or can't relate. And it captured what it's like to fall in love with a girl and it captured what it's like to be terrified to come out even if you know your family loves you and what it's like to be an outsider pretty much everywhere and that was probably one of my favorite themes explored in this book Juliet felt like an outsider in Portland due to her sexuality but also race wise she felt like a, I quote, white girl with brown skin. And this was um, just after Fen had questioned whether she was really gay. She questions whether she's Puerto Rican enough. And that's such a common feeling within both the BME and the um, LGBT plus community, but it's not really talked about all that much. Um, you asked if this was a coming of age or a coming of queer story and I think that's really interesting because I personally don't see a distinction in the two there is so much overlap whether you um, figure out your sexuality or gender at 12 or 20 or like 68 I feel like they're so similar that this is both a coming of age and a coming of queer story and they're essentially the same thing 
I devoured this book. I read it in two days and then I made all my other friends read it. Ava, and kind of in turn this book, Ava's like basically my favorite character. She was kind of like a literary big sister I would have really benefited from at 14. And I definitely re recommend this book to any kid that's struggling with their sexuality or struggling with where they fit in as like a first second generation immigrant and it was super value valuable to me like now I've never had a book that told me it was okay to be queer and brown and to question white feminism and that was bloody incredible hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And then Lena sat down with our friend Clarissa to talk more about this in depth. Cool. Well, Lucy should have already done an intro. Haven't you, Lucy? Um, so I'm just going to, like, pop into it. Hi, Clarissa. Hello. How Hi. are you? I'm good. I'm this good. is my I'm friend really Clarissa, good. guys. Everyone bow down. Hi. <laughs> She's Hi, fucking amazing. Um, so <laughs> I've, I've given you three questions. You've you been have. doing some homework. I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah. So the first question I wanted to ask you was, what does intersectional feminism mean to you? So yeah, in terms of my identity, I am a 26-year-old black woman. Um, I went to state school. I was also educated at Oxford University. I'm able-bodied. I'm cisgender. I'm straight. And I'm from North London. And um, sort of as I was saying, although it's kind of intersectionality for me personally isn't inherently about identity, I think, you know, outlining some of the things that make you who you are like mm. is really telling about then like what you think about feminism and like what yeah. you think about intersectionality so um obviously like the way I just described myself was really reductive um but it's it, I, I wanted to do that to like illustrate how if one or more of those parts of my identity were to change so would my experience mm. and therefore like so would my perspective and so the new the new Clarissa that would be like different from yeah. the one I just spoke would about would equally subjective absolutely and would have way. like a completely different experience and a completely mm -hmm. different um perspective and I think that's when we start to get into like 
problems mm. and um, like people can be seen as problematic because that isn't acknowledged. Mm. So, so I think if you know when we don't acknowledge that people can have different experiences and different perspectives that's when we get into things like intersectional kind of erasure and intersectional um, discrimination so for me like intersectional feminism is feminism like Mm. the only kind of feminism I personally identify with is intersectional and um, like lots of my friends and lots of the people that I admire kind of like espouse kind of intersectionality and I think that they do acknowledge that people will in like necessarily have different experiences right and we can't talk um in a really blanket statement way about people and I think it's really important to remember that because like intersectional erasure is like a real thing and people are experiencing it like people have experienced it and I think if the world is going the way it's going like people will like continue to do it until that's kind of addressed so I personally find Kimberly Crenshaw's definition of intersectionality um, as the as the most useful for me when we're talking about that because it speaks to my experience and my perspective. So, like for those people who don't know who she is, I don't know who she is. Yeah, so she she's a Tell G. Me. She's a G. That's the first thing. Can we just put okay. that out there? She's like a she's That's a G. Like definition one. She's a G. Like she's a goddess. She's amazing. She's this African American um, woman. She's an academic. She's a feminist critical race theorist um and she she was the one who actually first introduced this idea of intersectionality and she was initially talking about it in relation to um the law and um black women and how um things were affecting them in a in a different way from white men and sorry white women and black men which is traditionally how when you when you think of a black woman you know again people try to compartmentalize identity and they say oh well there's a black bit we can we can relate that to like being a black man and there's a there's a woman bit so like that's defined in terms of a white woman and she was kind of saying that actually there's a there's a kind of a different space that these people occupy so how I kind of interpret what she talked about intersectionality was that she kind of described intersectionality as almost like social just injustice and oppression are like a matrix and um like social injustice can overlap at times and create like really specific Mm. like unique and multiple kind of forms of um kind of social injustice so like if you think about things like racism sexism ageism like ableism like all the different isms and like all the you know islamophobia fat phobia like all the different like phobias think about all those things and this gives us a framework for understanding that people can experience all those things or one or more of those things all at the same time oh yeah so do you ever think that the term is misused overused underused or should like can we my question i guess is like can we ever get to a point where we don't need to use the term intersectional feminism because if if internet if internet i'm like intellectual feminism internet feminism (laughs) the lesson is intersectional feminism is intellectual feminism it is um like yeah i don't know do you do you ever get fed up with the term or like that we're still using it or is it still like a useful term I think it's really I think it's useful I think it's really useful like I it's like I think obviously like I would say historically it has been um misused so like I think in terms of what I was saying about identity I think sometimes when people hear the word like intersectionality they automatically think about like identities and it's about like 
counting how many you have and and Mm. like yeah like how acutely you might um experience it's it's actually not about how acutely you might experience um social injustice or oppression because of that identity but it's just like this is your identity and that's we, we we can talk about it like that but i think so i think yeah it's been historically misused and underused but i think now because of like social media because of the way in which traditionally marginalized voices actually are creating spaces for themselves and there are lots of um you know there's lots of kind of activism that is happening online and offline that's just more visible i think this word is is coming more to the forefront and i'd really love to see like more discussions um incorporate it because especially like i think especially so obviously i'm black um and often when we talk about like critical race theory or issues to do with black people um and often black by black people we're often talking about men indirectly because of patriarchy Mm. and how they Mm. would also like end up dominating that discussion um and we're not talking about women and then we're not talking about black british women right so like uh, do you know what i mean Mm. i think so because of the internet and like the way in which different people do have a platform we're seeing um things that are really localized like specific to like where you live and people talking about those experiences and and that's really important so i think i think um and that's what intersectional feminism is about like how localized those experiences are Mm. and we need we just need more like Mm. we we need more and in the same way that like if you talk about women's fiction or women's writing like we've had this you could talk about the history of like English literature or literature and the canon and how women have traditionally been excluded from that. So we've got a whole many hundreds of years of that happening. So in the same way, like when we're talking about um, feminism and intersectional feminism, we've only had like we've had a, a bit of a period where that hasn't been used. So we do really need to, I think, reclaim it and bring it like to the forefront um okay so um for um a becky like me well let's call it becky becky (laughs) you are not the focus of as a white woman actually the funniest part of that is woman i'm definitely a girl (laughs) yeah that's true i'm like um like do you have any like do's or don'ts or examples of like things that like i could potentially get wrong or maybe have been getting wrong I mean you tell me yeah I think Um, you're amazing I think you're brilliant and you know how mm, much I love you mm. um so I don't want to I mean yeah this question I think do's are always really helpful I think Mm. I think don'ts are important but we should you can reframe a a don't as a do right yeah so I think do always be listening Mm -hmm. that's really great I think um I've been in situations where you know people are not listening and you're kind of spoken about or like like when you're in the room Mm -hmm. and like so I think it's just really important to listen and again like think about where you're coming from think about your um, perspective like in relation to other people I think um, it's really important to include different voices like as so as you're doing I think as I said I think that's brilliant including different voices but including like many different voices Mm -hmm. so that we don't get someone monopolizing um the the conversation i think is is just as ma- and more people and more different kinds of people is really good mm. um because yeah as we've said their experiences are different yeah. so i think 
as well like do like think about your life like think about the positions of um, power that you kind of have and how you can you can like affect them and we can all do things that are big and small you know like it, it doesn't have to be huge you don't have to lead a march or a movement in that way but there are things that we're doing that we can just be a bit more mindful and think about um, including other people if you haven't done anything wrong or problematic like mm. do you know what I mean like why why you have to question why you react in that way sometimes yeah. I think not you personally but why mm. people why people do and is that coming from a place of guilt or shame or what mm. what is happening there um well like also just like this resistance to change do you know change, what I mean it's like oh yeah. you don't disrupt me yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I'm doing my own shit, doing own shit. And, and that's not you need to be willing be I willing. guess yeah it's cool have you ever played bop it What's that? You know, like bop it, move it, pull it, and it's like a game like that you a pass ch- around. Was that it's like, like an, an advert? Game. I feel like I saw that like back yeah. in the day. But like, if you lost the game, then okay. the, the game goes, do it again, but better. <laughs> <laughs> and it always reminds me of that. I'm like, I understand, but more. Yeah. yeah. Cool. There's Thank you for talking to us. And finally, our mate Rowan came on and spoke to Hannah about all sorts of other fun things. So I have our friend Rowan Ellis with me. Hi, everyone. Hey. Um, so you read the blurb for Juliet and you just listened to our podcast about it. Yeah, and immediately messaged you being yeah. like, what is this book? Why haven't I heard about it? I need to read it right now. Are you going to go and read it then? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what did you, what do you think in, in general, just first thoughts about uh, intersectionality in the book and is that is that anything that you've come across in like YA literature before? Um, not necessarily something that I feel like I've come across in a lot of writing before. Actually, I feel like intersectionality, which I think I talked about about on the podcast, is um, something that isn't necessarily a new concept. Mm. Um, even I feel like people would, were kind of feeling it before it got named, even. But I think when you've had a lot of minorities who have been like segregated off or you know kind of not able to be out like queer people or haven't had their voices heard independently like disabled people it's been difficult to get to that point where enough people come together and I feel like the internet has been like a massive drawer together and a, a huge boom in intersectional fe- yeah. uh, feminism which the kind internet of is how it. I heard about intersectionality in the first place mm-hmm. and like I think uh the term was coined in the 70s or 80s or something like a lot like quite a while ago at least in academia um, so but it's only in the last few years that I've learned about it well um, what what does intersectional feminism mean to you so I think intersectional feminism is not necessarily a a solid state of being that you like pass or fail at mm-hmm. I think that it's an attitude towards the world that acknowledges the kind of institutional oppression that people face the and the kind of difficulties that that might put in front of them or the circumstances that they might have in their lives potentially because of that that other groups would not have or would have Mm -hmm. in a different way um and in doing so you're able to practice feminism in a way that understands that you're going to have to account for those things in order to fight towards equality for everyone Um, so kind of like step one is just being aware of the fact that everyone's got different experiences yeah. depending on what kind of like what a minority they might belong to. Yeah. So you can want to practice intersectional feminism and I feel like a lot of people probably did and before the internet I'm sure a lot of people thought like oh yeah I want to help all women. But I feel like those experiences the very like, the very nature of privilege means that you don't know 
how good you have it in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways when you have it you don't know you have privilege when you have it and so I can definitely see how you can have situations where people are often in the same geographical location which often means that with the same class of people in the UK for example class is like a massive thing Mm -hmm. um, which in turn can sometimes have an influence on racial aspects which can in turn have have an influence on as sexuality whether people come out to you whether they feel safe all this kind of stuff so actually just getting to a point where you have enough voices in your life who are telling you yeah you might want to help black women but like as a black woman this is the way in which my life goes it might be different to yours this is a way in which you can be a feminist who stands up for black women as Mm -hmm. well as white women but you can have the intentions but if you don't know those experiences other people have it can be very difficult to implement them so i have a bit of a a little bit of a sticking point with the term white feminism. Sure. Because what I do think we call it? I think it's very useful as a term for white women who centre white women's voices exclusively or overwhelmingly or who don't consider other women's voices. I think it becomes a much more difficult label to give to the idea of also bringing disability and also bringing um, like sexuality mm. and gender identity into it. Um, not because I, not because I'm like, oh no, what you can't call it white, you have to call it white strip, whatever. Yeah. But it means that I think there's this assumption that the people who are not going, who are going to not centre kind of black and Asian women, for example, will also not centre LGBT, and that they're that that's somehow like a this and the us and them situation. Whereas I think you can absolutely have a situation where there's a black woman who doesn't centre disabled women in her sure, feminism, and like, yeah. what do you call that woman? Like, I think that there needs to. Or what you call we need, yeah, like a non-intersectional yeah. feminist. Like, and, and I think that that discussion is a little bit more nuanced than just like white women are the only women who aren't intersectional. Um, do you ever think that the term intersectional uh, is misused or overused or underused? So I think that a lot of people would say um, if someone does something that they see as non-intersectional and they call themselves an intersectional feminist, then immediately the idea is like they aren't an intersectional feminist and they've used that word wrong. I would say it's not the making the mistake, it's the reaction to making the mistake, which maybe proves whether someone's an intersectional feminist. Sure, the e- either if they own up or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so if they if they take responsibility, if they change their pattern of behaviour, if they are learning and see... Because no, like, no one suddenly says, I'm going to be an intersectional feminist, I know everything. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't mm-hmm. happen. And people are still learning, and especially in communities which are reasonably young so like the lgbt community as it is now with the inclusion of trans people properly into the community which to be honest the amount of transphobia in the lgbt community means that like has that even happened yet mm-hmm. um and the amount of like racism in the lgbt community and all this kind of stuff um means that we have we're still going through that process as a community and so like i remember when i was at university the community was called something different no one knew what lgbt meant when i was 18 like that wasn't a thing that most people i knew would come across whereas now it's like everywhere oh, really? yeah and it, and also like it went through a load of different iterations even when i was at uni so everyone was changing their stash and their logos constantly because it was like lgbt no it has to be lgbt star because we don't want people to think transgender means just people who are binary and transitioning right. from one to the other as it were but instead it can encompass all these other kind of identities no we have to put lgbt plus star plus no we have to add the q in there and like even when i was at uni it was changing and like i was what like president of my lgbt society and i was kind of so so it made sense i was keeping up with this stuff but why would some random like 30 year old gay guy be like into the politics of like what our community is called or not Mm -hmm. when it's not a conversation the mainstream is having you have to search it out so it's kind of like i don't blame anyone for believing in the tenets of intersectionality and wanting to practice it but not being perfect I think it's that idea, which I think is everyone 
wants to be right and so it does take a lot of like humility and self-reflection to be called out on something and be like you're right absolutely yeah. I'm gonna change that and, and kind of like a, doesn't matter what the specific situation is mm-hmm. like being called out is like a horrible experience even if you are wrong yeah you're just that and 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 that bridge that you have to cross to kind of um and you know with social media like publicly also kind of be like i'm sorry i was wrong i'll do better yeah like that seems really easy we make it sound like all you have to do is apologize and it's really easy la 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 yeah um and also i think it's particularly scary because a lot of the internet don't like to forget yeah. the wrongs that you've done in the past yeah. even if you've done like good since then and then you make one more mistake and then everyone's dragging up your mistakes from a few years ago or whatever it is yeah which I I really don't like I feel like people have made mistakes years ago but have clearly not learned from it and continue to make them and don't like to admit that they're wrong and won't apologize like that's very different but if there's someone who's made a mistake a long time ago um but has tried to make amends has tried to learn has been seeking out um, information and kind of own voices, voices to like Mm-mm. learn about stuff. Who is not making those mistakes again? Who has rectified it? Who has you know, if they've made a problematic video, has deleted the videos so that that misinformation can't continue to be spread. For example, like from a call out, like YouTube point of view or a Tumblr post or whatever sure. it is that they've done that exists on its own on the internet that people can find and learn that misinformation. That there is some kind of re-education where they upload a different video or a different Tumblr post which has correct information on it. For example, you know, all these things are things that can be done that are actually working towards true intersectionality mm-hmm. um so for um straight women yeah do you have any do's or don'ts in terms of um them trying to be helpful or or when they think they're helping but <laughs> they're unintentionally being dicks and like what what's their place in helping um so i think that the there's there's a real interesting situation with like queer people which is that one you can't tell people are queer by looking at them and a lot of minorities will have people within the community that that's the same for like you have invisible disabilities for example where you can be like you can look at someone and be like you are in a wheelchair therefore i can associate you with this thing automatically and then there are people who are deaf where it's like oh okay cool i literally had no idea yeah and um, similarly, you have the idea of like white passing people of colour and stuff like that. Um, whereas with LGBT stuff, it's pretty much impossible from the outset unless we're wearing like a badge <laughs> to be like, yes, this person is 100% Just wearing a rainbow thing. flag. Cape. Exactly. Um, which is why like I have a, I, the backpack that I carry around has like literally got rainbow patches and like feminist patches and queer patches all over it because I do feel kind of a, a weird element of like this thing that's so in kind of integral to me not being on display in some way like being kind of erased just by the fact that mm. I'm like a very feminine like a woman that's like part assumed. of your identity is invisible yeah exactly um but because of that it means that our community is very um disparate and there's no community centers there's no like the only real kind of hub of community is like 18 plus alcohol, with alcohol mm-hmm. um pretty much only for men um and then those communities have their own issues with racism or with ableism which means that there's a load of men who might otherwise be able to go to these places who don't feel welcome we don't have any kind of um like community leaders who are like voices of the community to rally around like that it's so it's a it's a it's an interesting situation in that we don't kind of have 
a, a central point with which to kind of have these discussions mm-hmm. and so it feels really interesting talking to you straight and cis people about stuff like this because it feels like we don't have consensus in our own community about things so like people will come to me and be like is it okay for me to use the word queer and i'm like well yeah that's all can of worms my friend sure yeah, um, yeah but it is a, but it is a reason why it's really difficult to just tell people like go and read about it because there are so many differing opinions and kind of misinformation and all this kind of stuff out there that actually you kind of have to do the education right now because there's no education in schools there's no like we don't learn about lgbt history in schools at all we don't learn about lgbt heroes we don't learn about like it's it's not something that people have any access to so actually like people who are around now in the age of the internet are kind of doing the education for them so it's like for me it's just like ask if you're like a straight person and you don't know something um as long as it's like a respectful question ask and if it's not a respectful question um or it's none of your business then don't like especially <laughs> yeah. around like trans people for example talking about their bodies just don't ask it's none of your business it's like if you wouldn't ask it to anyone else don't ask it to them so it's really it's a difficult one because i think there's so in terms of like advice for straight people because there's so many things you'd have to like almost have specific examples of like what can be done because i think we live in such a heteronormative society that there's such overwhelming assumptions that like everything is straight that it can be really hard to kind of like even unlearn or think about that um don't assume everyone's straight is a pretty important one yeah which i am guilty of which i've done before because i'm so used to being around lgbt people who are very open that if basically if someone doesn't come out to me when i come out to them i'm like automatically in my head i'm like cool that's great or like they're in the closet so they won't tell me as opposed to like oh they're just not the kind of person who says this to someone straight away awesome well thanks rowan thanks for having me rowan also has a youtube channel if you search rowan ellis you'll be able to find it yeah thank you so much hearing everyone's opinions was super super interesting and hearing thoughts and i feel a lot wiser and more educated anyway thank you so much everyone who contributed thank you everyone who shared their thoughts on twitter and everyone who listened to the podcast um we will see you in a fortnight imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.